the other thing I, I like to do, if I have a friend who likes to go out to bars and stuff, because uh, my wife, you know, doesn't drink. Uh, so I only ever get to go out to bars when a friend comes to town. So, so if you uh, want to get after it, go visit Lucas. He'll take you all out <laughs> we'll for as back. long as you want. <laughs> We're going. <laughs> The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 354. In 1786, Morocco became the first country to sign a treaty with the newly formed United States. And that's why, to this day, U.S. citizens do not need a visa to visit Morocco. If you've listened to the show before, then you're probably aware that one of Heather's top destinations to visit is Morocco. And you better believe that every single time her phone dings and she gets a Jetto notification that's a cheap flight to Morocco, she makes sure that I am aware that there are very, very good flights to Morocco. And one of these days, we are going to book one of those Jetto flights to Morocco. I promise, Seth. I promise. I promise. I promise. So if you are out there and you're saying, hey, I want to go to Morocco, or you want to go anywhere in the world, basically, you just want to find really cheap flights. Let's think to Europe for under $400, to Australia for under $700, to Asia for under $500. These are types of deals that we post every single day on our Jetto app. So all you have to do, it's totally free to download. Go to any app store that you have, download Jetto, J-E-T-T-O, sign up for the free account. And when you sign up, make sure that in the referral code box, you put EPOP. If you put in EPOP, we'll give you a free 14-day trial for our Platinum version. So go check it out. Download the app now. If you want the cheapest flights directly to the phone, you don't even have to do anything. You can be a travel superstar without having to put any workout. Go get the Jetto app and you'll start booking cheap flights in no time. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who is an award-winning writer and photographer who has lived abroad in a village on a mountain and then moved to one of the world's most cosmopolitan cities, and who's pushing me in a good way to take Heather to Morocco, probably more than anyone else on the planet, and who has literally written the book on that wonderful country, Lucas Peters of lucaspeters.com, and author of Moon Travel Guides, Morocco. Lucas, thanks for joining me. Welcome, man. Hey, Travis, thanks for having me on, man. But I got to tell you, I was, I was kind of hoping I'd be talking to Heather the whole time. So, yeah, you know. well, I, I made sure that didn't happen because then we'd be on the next flight to Morocco. Or maybe maybe I should have had that happen. <laughs> right? She'd be like, uh, yeah, just talk to Lucas and uh, our flights are booked. We're going in three days. I guess that would have been a good problem to have. Um, yeah, we're going to dive into a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about your travel life, how it's changed with having a two-year-old in tow, what it's like to be an expat in the last nine years. And of course, we're going to hammer down on, on the country you love and you know so well, Morocco. But first, let's figure out where it all came from, like this this travel bug that's led you to now be an expat, to live abroad for a big chunk of your life at this point. Where did this desire first come from? 
Uh, you know, so I grew up in a small town called Tukwila, Washington. Um, and it's just like 10 minutes south of Seattle. It's right next to SeaTac Airport. Um, almost nobody knows this town. You shouldn't know this town. Uh, our high school is incredibly small, but one of the things we had was a very international community. Uh, in fact, the high school I went to is now featured usually every year in the New York Times as being the most diverse high school in the nation. Uh, where there is out of a graduating class of about 100 kids, there's something like 26 different languages spoken at home. So this, this, you know, like as I was graduating high school, you know, like this is what this like my school system transformed into is this really multicultural place. And I think that's kind of where it sparked, you know, this idea of uh, I'd never left the U.S. or anything. Um, and I didn't until I got into college. But it's one of those things, you know, you, you have this idea in the back of your head, like, oh, there's other places, other languages, other kind of styles of living, ways of life, ways of belief even. Um, and so, yeah, it just kind of piqued the curiosity, I think. And then sometime in college, I worked out a way to get a semester abroad in London, and I was I was absolutely miserable the whole time. <laughs> I mean, just miserable. But the thing I, I, I loved about London was I, I didn't love London at all. I, I still, to this day, probably my least favorite Western European city. Uh, I like pockets of it, but it's uh, it's kind of like L.A. like that. You know, it's hard to like the whole city. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's never been an easy place for me. But I, I, the thing is, I liked myself in London. I like myself kind of somewhere else. And there was that kind of bit, I think, it's maybe only happens when you're like 20 years old and traveling, you know, like overseas in a strange culture where you do a lot of this pensive self-reflection and stuff. Uh, but I liked where it put me. I liked that I was kind of in a in a kind of more nervous spot every day, um, trying to figure stuff out every day, you know, a little bit more. Um, and so, yeah, that that started it. So from that was 2001. And since then, it's been, you know, you know, I was in Paris for a few months. I was in Prague for a few months trying to find a way to like do the expat thing. Not quite sure how to go about the visa process. And uh, it wasn't until 2009 where I was smart enough at the age of 30 <laughs> to realize that, you know, what helps the visa process a lot is a real job. <laughs> so that's kind of where it started. <laughs> nice. So then, okay, first let's, let's, figure out why were you miserable in London? I, I do love that you started the show with a place that was underwhelming to you because I like to ask people that question because I think it, it it's nice twofold. One, it allows then people to see that not everyone is perfect for everyone, right? Like if they go on a trip and they don't love it as much as they thought or they didn't love part of it as much as they thought, everything it's okay, right? Like I've been to places that everyone said I was going to love and I just thought they were okay. Like, that's fine. Yeah, like, I like that. And I also like then that it it kind of puts in perspective then when you do love a place, it, you you know what it feels like. Like, you're not like, oh, I just love it because I'm not at home. No, you've been to a place that, that was abroad that you didn't really like. So, so okay, I love that you did that. Let's talk about, though, miserable in London. Why miserable in London? Because I have my... I have my hypothesis hypotheses here, um, having been to London a few times, but why didn't you particularly enjoy it? In hindsight, I have four big reasons. Uh, number one, um, it was the rainiest spring that had in a hundred years. So that's, like, that's saying something. For that's London. saying something. In fact, uh, Nick Hornby, if anybody knows Nick Hornby, he wrote a, he wrote a, a 
book, I think it's called Falling Down, uh, that de- dealt with this like rainiest spring on record in 2001. And I was like, yes, I read that years later. I was like, yes, that's exactly, it was that miserable. It was, uh, I mean, just waterfalls coming down the tube, you know, like you're trying to walk into the metro or the subway station, you know, and it's uh, the, the tube in London. And uh, you, the stairs would literally be like little waterfalls, you know, that you have to like trudge up like a salmon swimming upstream, you know, just awful. So, and I grew up in Seattle, man. Like, I mean, I, I'm used to you know rain. rain. Yeah, you know, I know rain. You know, I mean, this was like horrible. <laughs> this is like rain. Like I'd never seen it before. Like I didn't see the sun for four months. You know, like it was just heartbreaking. Uh, the exchange rate killed me. Um, I was young. I was stupid. I just was five for a beer was five for a beer. I didn't realize five pounds was almost $10 or something at the time. So my bank account took a big hit. So that sucks. Uh, the food awful, like awful. Like it wasn't until I was like three months in, I discovered like the Indian food was actually something good. I think Heather actually mentioned this on an episode I heard not long ago. And I was like, yeah, that's, that was the savior for me. Cause otherwise like British food is I hear they're trying to do something else, but man, it's it's not great. Um, <laughs> I had four things, and what was I? Almost think I could leave it there. <laughs> I, I think that I mean, as far I as there, though. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, that essentially encapsulates oh, most of my London experiences. The fourth one, fourth one. I love a walking city. Like I love walking around a city, and London's not a great walking city. Like there's neighborhoods that are wonderful to walk around, and I lived up in Tufnell Park, like kind of north London, a little north of Camden Town. If people know where that's at, and the walk is not fun. You know what I mean? Like walking from one neighborhood to another, you're on these like lonely stretches of busy road with just like crappy shops around you and nothing really to look at. You know, and it's not nothing like Paris, where, where I live now, which is like the quintessential walking city, you know, every street corner you turn around, you're like, Oh, that's pretty. You know, I mean, I've been here three years. I still do that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, okay. That encapsulates my, most of my London experiences, but I will say when I've been there when the sun was out, I, I did, I understood why other people loved it so much. So yeah, I'm with you. Okay. So we share a common bond there with London being this tough it for a lot of reasons, but then you mentioned, so, all right, 2001, you wanted to be an expat. You couldn't really figure it out. 2009, you were able to finally become an expat. What were you doing in the interim there? Like, were you trying to set your life up for for travel, or had you given up on it a little bit and thought, okay, no, it's just going to be normal. Like, I'll travel when I can on vacation, type thing. Uh, at the time, I was working a lot, so I'd usually hold down like two or three jobs, and I'd uh, usually I was like some combination of bartending, waiting tables, maybe doing some editing or library type work or something like that. Um, and I'd usually hold down two or three jobs, basically not have a vacation for about ten months, quit all my jobs, and then all the money I saved up, I'd take traveling, um, and then just kind of recycle, do it again. Um, so I did that uh, for a few years, and then. Along the way, I thought, hey, I should like do something else with my life. So I uh, went to grad school, uh, got a master's in English literature, um, got a little teaching experience, and then uh, ended up editing in San Francisco. And so, you know, San Francisco is another great city, again, expense-wise, not the best, but a great city to live in. Um, and then, yeah, in 2009, I just, I had, I had a, that little bit of teaching experience, and I thought, hey, you know, why not? get out of the office job and do this, you know, just do this. And, 
I looked around the U.S. and I saw like upstate New York, you know, I got a job offer at Watertown in upstate New York, right off Lake Erie. I went up there in June. There was still snow on the ground. And I said, nope, uh, can't do this. <laughs> so uh, I started looking overseas and I had a couple job offers for Korea, um, Morocco, and then the Czech Republic. Um, already been to the Czech Republic, never been to Korea, never been to Morocco. How do you decide the food? Comes back to the food, man. I love Moroccan food. It's delicious. Didn't like the food in the Czech Republic too much. Korean food I like, but not every day. You know, <laughs> that that was the deciding factor, really. You know, and so 2009, I took a job offer for uh, Morocco. And um, yeah, haven't, haven't lived back in the U.S. since. Kind of I, a busy decision. Oh, man. A man after my own heart who's just like, <laughs> all right, these are both cool. Where am I going? Place with best food. So you moved to Morocco and you, you taught in Morocco then for a while and lived in a in a village right like a yeah. a small village in Morocco yeah so, yeah, so there's a there, so there's a, about an hour outside of Fez you're up on top of the mountain right um so you get four seasons you actually do get a little snow in the the winter time so I actually packed my snowboard and everything um got to use it a couple times amazingly enough uh kind of cool um so yeah, up in uh, Ifran, Morocco, it's um, they have a like an American style university there um, called Alajuen. Um, we can maybe write it down in the <laughs> podcast notes or something like that. But uh, so the university there, it's um, it's in Ifran. It's a small university, about a thousand five hundred maybe students, I think. Um, and the town itself has maybe another three thousand or so. Um, so it's you know it's pretty small. You know, there's one like kind of central little market. I think the whole town is maybe two miles across, two and a half miles across, you know, so walk one into the other, you know, you see everybody. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> That's kind of living there. Um, and yeah, I did that for six years, you know, um, which is about five years more than I thought I was going to. <laughs> okay. So interesting. Yeah. That was my thought is like, what, what did you go intending to do, which sounds like a year. And then what made you stay in this small town in Morocco for six years? Uh, the, Yes. Yeah, so originally I, I thought I'd use it as a stepping stone for teaching. So I'd kind of like teach a year here, a year there and kind of make, work my way around the world doing that. That was my idea going into it. Um, but going back to that, that idea of liking myself in London, you know, liking the challenge of this environment. I really like that in Morocco. You know, I really like the the challenge of uh, on the weekend trying to go to the, you know, weekend market to get my vegetables. You know, that for me was a blast. Like every weekend, you know, I'm like, oh, what's going to happen this weekend? You know, something, you know, and, uh, uh, just getting around. It was always, it's always a little chaotic. It's always a little, um, you know, like a little difficult. And for me, in, in a good way, I, I like places that are a little bit difficult, I think, in some ways. Uh, some of that could be language. Some of it's just, I don't know, style of living. It's not something you're accustomed to. Um, I talked to a good friend of mine who's been in Morocco. Um, he's born and raised in New York and been in Morocco since the 70s. Um, and, That's yeah, a long time. That's a long time. Um, but he, and he goes back and forth. You know, he's up in Europe a lot, goes, you know, still back to the U.S. But one thing he, he said to me stuck out, he said uh, he, he finds the U.S. just too sterile. Like everything's just so clean, and I and, and I and I jam with that, you know. I, I dig that entirely. I'm like, yes, it is a little too clean for me. Like that's an issue. <laughs> you know what's interesting to me when you say that? Like I wasn't even thinking cleanliness as much as I I like when I, when you're in Southeast Asia, you're in Thailand or, or areas like this where you just can do what you want. And that's not to say in in a bad way, but you know, like you're on a street and there's 
not really like lanes on the street. Everyone kind of follows their own little area. But then when I'm in the U.S., obviously you're driving down the street, you're driving in your lane, and you're in Thailand. You're like you just take a motorbike, you zoom around, people zoom around you. It works, and I I miss that sometimes. This idea that I'm just I'm just gonna do what I need to do or what I want to do within certain nor you know moral norms, but I'm not being like everything isn't so cookie cutter. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. yeah. All right, I get that. That's the thing, you know, and the driving's the same, you know. I tell people if they've driven in like Southeast Asia, you know, driving to Morocco would be a cinch, you know. It's uh it's the same idea, you know, just like the lane is more of a guidance than a rule. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. it's more guide. <laughs> yeah. What then brought you okay, so you're in Morocco for six years, then you move from this four thousand person Moroccan town yeah. to Paris, which Obviously, so we'll talk about the shock or if you experienced cold shock, but what, what was it that brought you to Paris then? Um, that was easy. That's my wife. Um, she had, so at the university, it was a bit of a decision for us because at the university, I was uh, tenured in a way, you know, the closest thing to have, but I have a guaranteed job for life there. I'm teaching like English literature and composition. As far as teaching goes, I'm doing about the best I'm ever going to do. Um, good salary and all that stuff too. Um, four months vacation can't argue with that. <laughs> you know, so like, even uh, even somebody who loves travel has a hard time arguing with that. You're like, all right, yeah, you know, it's like four months is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, and then uh, yeah. So my wife though, um, in Morocco. Uh, for so my wife is from Tangier, so she's from Morocco. Um, and Morocco is can still be very tough on women, particularly like in the work environment. You know, it's still kind of a patriarchal culture. I say a lot of times it's how I imagine maybe the U.S. was in the 1950s, you know, where you have women in the workforce, but they're always kind of held down on lower positions despite kind of whatever other brilliance they bring or like my wife's case, like a bag full of degrees and like four languages and, you know, ridiculous smarts. Uh, so I told her, I was like, you know, this place isn't great for you. Just do your own thing, you know? So she was doing her, um, had her own consultancy going and stuff like that. Um, but she ended up getting a job with UNESCO, uh, got a job offer for UNESCO. Um, and their headquarters is right here in Paris. And it was just kind of a, a good enough kind of package where we're like, all right, yeah, let's do it. Let's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pull up stakes. We'll head to Gay Paris and uh, <laughs> see, see how life goes up there. Um, and you know, we've both been to Paris before and it's a place that honestly, um, it's easy to live in, you know, I mean, the, the, as frustrated right now as I am with the French bureaucracy, which that's a whole nother thing. Um, uh, I can be, yeah, uh, your day to day living is very easy here. Is it? Okay. So that's interesting to me that, that I, I would have assumed the other way. Like I would have assumed that life wouldn't like day-to-day life wouldn't be so easy now i'm thinking mostly from a cost perspective so maybe that's maybe that's where my mindset comes in but i i what's yeah i guess explain to me because that's it's fascinating like what what do you find very easy about living in paris uh so in a small village in morocco you don't have um like uber uh you don't get like you know you can't dial up Indian or Korean or even find Indian or Korean food, you know, like, so back to the food thing. Um, Amazon doesn't exist, you know, like, I mean, like, I mean, like, so, so many of the things that like, honestly, like you, like I, I even like took for, and probably do again, just take for total grantedness, you know, just take for granted that, uh, you know, these things, you know, I can find this, I can get this, I can, you know, go to the bookstore and get, you know, the book I need. I could go to the grocery store and find, you know, whatever ingredients. I, 
I need to make this dish tonight, you know, uh, that did not happen in Morocco, you know, like your day-to-day kind of comforts, a lot of them are stripped out, you know, um, that we're just kind of taking for granted now. So, you know, to take the hour long drive to Fez usually meant that I was calling three or four local taxi drivers to see if anybody had a spot that it could have pretty please, you know, get a ride. Could you meet me there? Um, and that one hour drive would sometimes take me half a day, you know, just to find a car and navigate that, you know, um, you know, your, your quick stop down at the grocery store, you know, that's, that's my Saturday, you know, that's the entire Saturday. Um, you know, that's, that's not like 30 minutes in and out of Safeway or something like that. Like that's, uh, you know, I'm grabbing a bag and uh, I'm going to be walking around to the different vendors to get all the specific bits I need to do stuff. Uh, and then to take it home, I'm going to hire the guy who pulls the cart that takes like 30 minutes to like get back home, you know, just by itself. So, I mean, it's a lot of this kind of stuff, you know, where, you know, I'll walk outside here. I'm, you know, typically Parisian. There's five awesome bakeries within, you know, two minutes of my front door. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, this is all great. You know, there's hospitals right here, you know, which is important, you know, for kids and stuff. Um, great daycare and stuff. Not to say like Morocco doesn't have some of these things, but in a smaller town, like they, like it is almost anywhere else, it, it's kind of hard to find. But you couple that with, yeah, you can't order stuff on Amazon, man. Or if you do, maybe in a month you'll get it. (laughs) So I guess it it is, it's all relative. Yeah. You coming from a small town in Morocco, I I get it. I can see why like, yeah, Paris Paris is easier or or honestly, any, any city of size would have been much easier for those. A little easier, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Expenses are a thing, you know, I mean, the, uh, you find like I had, I had literally, I had months that I lived on less than 200 bucks a month, you know, I mean, and, and lived well, you like I had, a maid who came in who was very waffle. She was great. She's charming. Um, would cook me dinner, would clean my apartment. <laughs> she cost like five dollars. You know, I mean, it's just, that's the local economy. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say most at random, you know, average months there. I spent, you know, two to three hundred dollars maybe for living, uh, which not the same in Paris. <laughs> yeah, I, not the same. I was going to say, what is, what has been that the most drastic difference moving from the village to to yeah, one of the world's busiest, most cosmopolitan, most expensive cities? What have what were the what was the adjustment like? Because six years is a long time to live in a village in Morocco. Not to say you didn't travel and get out of that, but that's your life for that to be your day to day life. So, so, all right. So, kind of a funny thing, uh, like just to, you know, we get, we move here, uh, we have an internet set up, you know, we, we're getting furniture, we're putting our apartment together, you know, we're going out finding local restaurants and stuff. But, you know, for the most part, we're still cooking at home because that's what we're used to doing. Um, but we're both, you know, my wife and I were both working a lot at the time and, uh, we, we kind of hit this kind of period where just cooking every night was that slog you know we're just like you know working through i'm trying to think of the quickest dinners i can make i'm just like man i was like i wish we could just like call and order a pizza literally we've been here seven months <laughs> i was like we're in paris of course we could we could call and order pizza order thai food order burgers order tacos or whatever i was like how do we not think about this so uh, we went through a period where we must have ordered out five meals a week <laughs> easily five meals a week yeah that's awesome which you which for the first seven months you just it was so ingrained in you that you were cooking at home you didn't even give it thought didn't even think about it, man. <laughs> like, and then it's one of those what you do. You're like, 
how am I so stupid? (laughs) How? how? Right. And then it's the slippery slope of like, am I ever going to cook again? Because I have literally thousands of restaurants in Paris that could deliver to me. Why would I ever need to cook? And then I guess you look at your bank account. You're like, oh, that's why I need to cook. But um, that's kind of what happened. Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. You know, like we kind of dug ourselves into a hole at one point. We're like, how did this happen? I was like, Cause yeah, we haven't like done any sort of budgeting at all for that. So um, yeah, so I guess yeah, that was. I mean, honestly, like other than that, the um, the adjustment to Paris is. I think almost anybody else, like small town to big town. But I think we both lived in big cities before, um, so it wasn't that shocking. You know, it's not like country bumpkins coming in, like hadn't seen a you know, skyscraper before or something like that. You know. Um, so yeah, so I I think for us it was it was really it was it was easier than it was hard, um, and yeah, exciting. You know, who doesn't want to live in Paris? You know, uh, and the deal with us was you know with UNESCO, her uh, you know her job meant I had to give up my job. So that means I have to create a kind of a new job. And luckily, I had the book deal for uh, the travel book for Moon uh, for the Morocco book, and that was just at the time just going to come out like within that next year. So I had this year where I was kind of like working on the book, you know, putting the photos together, um, and kind of doing the final you know pieces for that. Uh, so I got to be like just a full time writer in Paris, which is. Is that not the dream for almost any person who loves writing or literature ever, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. What are, speaking of Paris, because we can get to Morocco in a second, but in Paris, what are some of your favorite things to do, like as a local or someone who lives there that tourists would enjoy, but probably would never even know? Because, because I mean, there's so much to do as a tourist in Paris. What about the under, like underneath stuff, the little hidden stuff that you're like, Oh man, if you come to Paris, like you've got to do this, whether it be a place or, or a thing, you know, what, what is that? That's it. Honestly, that's a, that's a, that's always a tough question. Cause I feel like everything is done in Paris. Like, I don't think there's anything like undiscovered in Paris anymore. Uh, I mean, there, there's the big stuff that everybody does, you know, of course. Um, but usually like if I have people coming in, like I just had some friends here, uh, about a month ago. And, um, you know, it's usually like I'll take them to my favorite local restaurant, my favorite local park if it's nice out. Um, so I'll give a little shout out to the Grand Pan um, over in the 15th. Awesome food. Only locals go there because like there's nothing like where I live in Morocco or where I live in Paris is this like little pocket of wonderful neighborhood. There's there's nothing tourist like touristic value at all here there's i mean there's no the eiffel tower is like on the other end of the you know arrondissement the you know i I mean we don't have any of the super big parks that everyone's going to so it's it's all pretty neighborhoody um and so yeah so the the grand pan i love taking people there it's a great restaurant they do very very specific kind of cuts of meat and fish uh so it's not maybe not the best for vegetarians or vegans but for for meat eaters man, some of the most glorious like little bits and pieces you can, you can ever find. And like the chef they have there is just very specific with what he asked for from his butcher. And it's, it's incredible how that shows up on your dish. Um, so yeah, like rayfish when you're eating like the wings, the rayfish and stuff and the presentation of it all and stuff, it's, it's awesome. And it's like, you know, neighborhood budgety price, you know, it's like 25, 30 euros maybe for dinner, uh, 
with wine and everything, you're maybe looking at like 80 to 100 for for a couple, which isn't that bad, you know, honestly, for Paris. It's, yeah. It's all right. It's not um, bad for Paris. Yeah. Yeah. So for like a nice night out, I, I, I like that one a lot. Um, and then the George Brissens Park is like one of it's, it's our neighborhood park. Uh, I mean, we have a couple here, but that's my favorite one because it has all the all the great things that people like in a, a Parisian park. Um, you can lounge out in the sun when it's sunny out. Uh, there's for the kids, there's still those little puppet theaters, you know, the marionette theaters, you know, so they still have one of those on the weekends. There's a, a covered secondhand book market that's been going on for like over a hundred years now. Um, so there's just like little, little kind of pieces that put this park together that make it really, really nice. Um, and again, like no tourists go there, you know, it's all locals because there's no Louvre right next door. <laughs> there's no museum. I'll say, you know, there's none of this stuff, you know, it's out of the center a little bit. So, um, th so that's my little corner, you know, I'm, I'm kind of down here in this little corner of the 15th. Um, the other thing I, I like to do, if I have a friend who likes to go out to bars and stuff, uh, cause my wife, you know, doesn't drink. Uh, so I only ever get to go out to bars when a friend comes to town. So, so if you uh, want to get after it, go visit Lucas. He'll take you all out <laughs> we'll for as there. long as you want. <laughs> We're going. But there's these uh, nice series of um, like prohibition era bars that have popped up around Paris that are really fun. You know, like uh, it's like you're going into a laundromat, but you got to know the door to get into and you go back. And there's a kind of a cool bar back there. There's a pizza joint, too, that you got to like kind of crawl through some beer canisters before you like get into like back kind of Frank Sinatra era looking bar in the back. Uh, so these things are pretty cool. Like I, I like these kind of bars, too, like when I'm going out for a night. Awesome. All right, cool. So you've got some stuff in Paris, and I, I just did a podcast um, with a guy named Ali G, who's good, and that's going to be coming out. And he he's an expat living in Paris as well, so I should connect you guys. He's an Australian, and yeah, he keeps he he's serving as like what you're doing for me for Morocco, basically saying, dude, you got to get here. I'll show you everything to do. <laughs> he's doing that for Paris. Um, so there we go. Um, and he taught me a really cool French word, which is probably the only French word I know, flaneur, which is like a, <laughs> someone who just loves to stroll, which I love to do. That's kind of my thing. So I, now I even have a title in French. I'm just a flaneur. Yeah. So yeah, I know. That, that, and that's, I mean, that's how, that's quintessentially Parisian, you know, like the other one is the voyeur. Yeah. Voyeur, you know, yeah. I mean, that's that's the other one. And that's what we do in Paris, man. We walk a lot and then we always look at the apartments that are open to see how people are living up there. Nice. <laughs> we do. Love it. Love it. A flaneur and a voyeur. Yeah. All right. I, I, I guess I'm basically Parisian at this point. Yeah. This um, You're right. In. <laughs> shifting to, to Morocco. First thing first, give us like an elevator pitch on why it should be at the top of every traveler's list. Like what? You know, for people who don't know or have never experienced or never been, because um, because I would argue that I know a bit about Morocco because I've read through your guidebook and I, you know, Heather's wanted to go there, I want to go there, but I still don't know a ton. What is it about Morocco? Like, why should we all want to go there? Elevator pitch. Here you go. Uh, whereas other destinations are largely, you go somewhere, you see something, uh, you snap a selfie, you post it on Instagram, and that's that's the vacation, right? Morocco doesn't have that. Morocco, it's all experiences. You know, you're gonna you're gonna experience music that you never hear anywhere else. You're gonna experience food you never would taste anywhere else. You're gonna experience sights and smells that are just unavailable anywhere else in the world. I mean, they only exist there in this like quaint little corner of like Northwest Africa. 
you know, and, and at the same time, you're going to experience a culture that most people haven't, like, I, I'm assuming listening to, listening to this podcast, you know, they haven't experienced before, um, you know, being in a Muslim country, being in Africa, you know, getting a, a, a taste of that, you know, a, a sensation of that, you know, and that that's what I think is the strongest um, pull for a lot of people with Morocco is it's not so much you want to go there and, you know, see this and do this. It's really you want to go there and experience it. Um, and that can be different for a lot of people for a lot of different price points. You know, um, I just got done with a three week, a three week uh, trip through Morocco. I did uh, one week as a budget traveler, one week as a luxury travel. That was my last week. And then one week as kind of a mid range traveler, you know, and this is the kind of how I put the guidebooks together and stuff. Um, but my budget travel, uh, I limited myself to $20 a day, including hotel and everything and had a blast, you know, I mean, um, it's a thing you can do on a super budget um, if you do a little bit of homework. Um, and then, of course, luxury is, you know, sky's the limit. You know, I was limiting myself maximum 200 a day. But uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I know along the way, too, you could do 500, 600, whatever a day easily. And and you're going to get every dollar out of that. You know, I mean, it's just that kind of place that whatever you're your budget ranges, you can have a great time too. Um, and then you meet other travelers doing the same kind of thing, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. What that's, yeah, it is fascinating because there are certain places in the world that you, you can't hit all those ranges, right? Like Paris, you can do budget, but it, you would never be able to do $20 a day, right? Unless you were, unless you were staying for free somewhere and eating someone else's food, right? And then even still, you'd spend $20 just hopping on on the metro once and buying one bottle of wine. Who knows? Well, wine's pretty cheap. But, no, that's London. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's London. There you go. Um, but, you know, there's certain areas like that you can't do it, but I love that Morocco has those ranges. If someone was going, like, all right, you've listened to our podcast, which helps. You you know our travel style. You know I'm a little more, maybe not a little, maybe much more frugal than Heather. But if you were, if someone was coming saying they wanted a a middle level experience, and I know you probably touched on this in guidebook, what what would a decent budget be for someone per day for for not super luxury, but certainly not. All right, I gotta watch every penny. Yeah, I, I'd say like uh, my my kind of rule of thumb is eighty to one hundred dollars a day um, is a good mid range budget. Um, what I try to tell people to do though is um, instead of doing for some reason, and this isn't just Morocco, this is wherever I travel. Mid range is always somehow disappointing. You know what I mean? I'd rather either go super cheap and like save the money to do something really really luxe. You know, like, I mean, instead of spending like, you know, the the seven days in a mid-range place, I'd rather do like four nights at like a real budget place, a hostel or a cheap hotel or something, and then do three nights at like a super luxe place. You know, I'd, I'd rather kind of switch it up like that. I'd rather do like street food for a couple of days and then do like a nice dinner out and, you know, maybe a nice lunch picnic, something like that. That's, um, a, that's a really good point. I, I You're right, because I found that with a lot of destinations I go to, right? I, I think yeah, you're unless you're unless you really know the best mid range, and that's where I think the mid range hurts people sometimes too. Is you're just you're you're paying more because you think it's going to be better than the budget because of the price, but it isn't. Unless of course you have like Lucas, who's like, all right, well if you are going mid range, here's like the best mid range option that will basically be luxury or or whatever, or it'll be an awesome experience, but you're paying mid range. But I'm with you. I, that's a good. I just want to stop you because that's a really neat point that you make for travel anywhere in general, I think. 
Well, and, and I think it, it, it also, for me, it's, it goes with um, what you're willing to do, too, as a traveler. Like for myself um, and my wife, too, if it's us traveling, we can rough it, no problem. You know, we don't mind, you know, sleeping bags and a you know bad blanket or something on. As long as we don't get bed bugs, we're good. You know? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, we can kind of rough it pretty well. Um, and yeah, and then, yeah, the mid-ranger, right, you can find some really cool deals but sometimes those are really tough to find you know and sometimes they just don't exist so i find especially if it's a place i don't know too well or i'm not i don't know i don't feel like i have anything i could really trust going into it um that i'd, I'd almost rather mix it up and try to find like the best budget option and then go for a, a kind of more upscale thing that i can afford you know after i save that bit of money right you know? and have it average out to 80 average, to 100 mid, yeah exactly yeah. average average out to kind of a mid-range type thing but to give you an idea of like how how cheap really you can make morocco for you and this could go, be, go for anybody um if you do a little planning um particularly for renting a car if you're planning on driving at all so i just got done renting a car um and it was 10 day rental unlimited miles um, and the bill came to $105. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, $10 <laughs> a day, $10 a day. And, you know, I, I drove that all the way down the Atlantic coast across some mountains out to the desert and back to Marrakesh, you know I mean? Uh, so I filled up the tank like five or six, I spent more money on gas than I did on the car rental, you know? Um, so, so that's one way, you know, like super budget travelers could, if they wanted to move around, could even think about just sleeping in their car for a couple nights if they really wanted to like cut out some costs, you know? Um, that's a legit way to do it. I think. Yeah, what would you say then for length of time to go? Because obviously, I mean, the more time, the better. Because uh, Morocco has so much stuff going on, and there's, it, you know, it's so diverse that way. But what would be again, someone like who who doesn't have infinite amounts of travel time? What would you say? Hey, you got to go for at least this amount of days, or this is maybe the sweet spot for for a first time traveler to Morocco. And we're coming from uh, the U.S. Let's say East we're coming. Coast. Let's say we're coming from the U.S. So it's not a crazy journey to get there, right? You're not going around the world. It's it's actually fairly easy of a flight. Um, yeah. What would be the the minimum, and then what would be maybe the sweet spot? Um, minimum you have to do is probably a week um, with with your weekend on either either end. I think. Um, that would be the direct flight. There's only a couple direct flights into Morocco from North America. You have a direct flight from New York and Montreal, I think are the only two cities that have direct flights. So if you're kind of already around Montreal or New York, you can fly right into Casablanca and catch that first train down to Marrakesh. Um, and you're talking, you know, you could, it's, it's the overnight flight and everything like that. Um, but you could, you could make that work for a week. I think pretty, pretty solid. Um, if you're coming from anywhere else other than kind of around Montreal or New York, it gets a little trickier. Um, I actually usually recommend people book in their, their trip to Morocco with the trip through Europe, uh, because Casablanca sucks. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I shouldn't say it sucks. There are bits of it that are charming, but it's like the London of Morocco to me. Uh, it's, it's I love it. I don't even have to ask you what not to do. You're already <laughs> throwing it out without me prompting you, which is Perfect. All right. So Casablanca, which sucks, be, which does suck because it's such an awesome name. Like it, when you hear Casablanca, I I equate it to like when I hear Mandalay and I went to Mandalay and Myanmar and I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> like this name makes it sound fan fantastical. Like 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 I just have visions of of what it's gonna look like, and then I get there, I'm like, 
what? This is Mandalay? Like, come on, man. This yeah, you, It doesn't live up to its name. No, nah, I mean, there is a reason Casablanca is always in, like, that those top five, top ten, like, most disappointing, like, destinations in the world. But on the other hand, Marrakesh, four-hour train ride away, there's a reason why Marrakesh is always in the top five destinations in the world, you know? I mean, Marrakesh doesn't disappoint. Um, but, yeah, if you're coming from anywhere else in the U.S., you know, um, you can you can uh, do a round trip. Um, I usually do two different flights, so I do, like, a round trip, let's say, you're coming from like Salt Lake City or whatever, do like Salt Lake City direct to Madrid or direct to Paris, have a night or two here, and then you can catch a, a budget flight down and do a different round trip um, where you're flying directly into Fez, directly into Marrakesh, directly into Tangier, directly even into where is this at, all of which are way cooler places than Casablanca to fly into, easier airports to navigate, um, just nicer, newer airports as well, um, super cool like customs lines and everything where you're kind of flying right through them. Uh, could be could be probably or feasibly cheaper to do that and get a day or two in Madrid because you know flights to Europe we get deals all the time and then as you said budget airlines between Europe especially down Spain and that area down to Morocco I've even I've looked they're they're cheap so you're probably spending less money all told than if you just book a round trip U.S. to to Morocco. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, usually like I found round trips less than a hundred bucks um, from Paris down to Fez and down to Marrakesh. But um, yeah, I mean, you're always finding deals even for the budget airlines going there. So you're looking at like your round trip tickets, or, you know, depending on where you're coming from the U.S., you could be looking at, you know, about a thousand dollars between your round trip to the U.S. and then also a round trip down to Morocco from somewhere in Europe. Uh, so this is what I tell people. And if you're if you're looking at bookending, you know, in in Europe, I say two weeks is usually a little bit better. Um, you know, you come into Europe, whatever, you know, Madrid, Barcelona, um, Lisbon, Paris, uh, wherever you want to fly into London, even if that's your thing, uh, you know, flying to London, that's fine. Uh, but, you know, flying to one of these cities uh, and then, you know, spend a couple of days, get over your jet lag, you know, have a kind of easy time of it, maybe revisit something if it's usually most people have already done Europe. So maybe go back to a city you really liked and like, you know, like revisit something like a museum or something that you loved. Um, and then you head to Morocco and do 10 days, do, you know, 12 days in Morocco, um, you know, do a good mix, I think, of, you know, one or two cities and some country stuff, you know, get out into the mountains, get out into the desert, because um, that's where I think a lot of countries, that's where the kind of the coolest stuff happens. Cities are, even in Morocco, they tend to kind of, you know, we find the KFCs and the McDonald's everywhere, you know, and it's in the country where you kind of really see the big differences between uh, cultures and places, um, which I think are, are a little bit more interesting for most travelers going to Morocco. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to Morocco to eat at a KFC. I can just go down the road if I want. Um, <laughs> yeah. oh, all right. So then we're talking, like, give us then a good itinerary, two week, 10 day, two week, um, you know, people can change that based on how many days, but what should they see? And again, we're talking first time travelers to Morocco because we'll have to come have you come back on and do a destination diary about Morocco where we dive a little deeper. But first time travelers to Morocco, basically me and Heather, we're coming in. We're skipping Casablanca. Okay, cool. What? Where do we go? What do we see? You know, what would be your itinerary for those type of people? Basically, what what what, what should I do when I come there? Because we're going to plan this out by the end of the podcast. Okay, I'm I'm going to give you uh, one itinerary, but I'm going to say that the um, yeah, the this is a, a season specific thing, right? So, um, Morocco's best, I think, visited uh, an itinerary like this is best done either in the spring or fall. 
Um, in the summer, you don't want to get out to the desert. You don't want to be inland. It's just too hot. You know, it's, uh, it's disgusting. <laughs> you don't want to spend your vacation like that. Well, all right. Uh, so on that yeah. note, when should yeah. people, what, what do you recommend people come? Like, is there a high season where it's more expensive? Like when should we come to Morocco? Yeah. So I said most travel, especially if they, they're a little bit elastic with their, you know, travel times that they can do, um, they're nailed down to that, you know, two weeks on August vacation. Um, try to make it, try to make it in the spring is the ideal. You know, if you can come March, April, I think is ideal. Um, because you're going to get everything blooming. Um, it's going to be warm, but not too hot. Uh, you know, the nights can still be surprisingly cool. Um, but not cold, you know, um, and your days will be hot, but not suffocatingly hot, you know. Um, so I, it has a good mix, I think, of kind of what you're looking to see in Morocco. Um, and weather-wise, it'll be pretty temperate, you know, so it's not going to be too bad. So you hit There's spring, this, so you go spring. Yep. If you can't so you go, go spring. spring, fall, I guess, would fall, be yeah. the fall Fall's back option. Too. I love fall time, too, um, because you do hit these patches where it's not not New England or anything. But, you know, you get some patches of these, like, forest lands where, you know, you don't expect it in Morocco, but you're crossing the mountains, and all of a sudden you hit these forest lands where, you know, the leaves are turning reds and yellows and browns and all that, and it, it, it lends another kind of beauty to the place. Um, but spring, absolutely, you know, everything in bloom and everything. Um, so if, yeah, if I'm doing a spring tour in Morocco, um, like I said, you got to start in Marrakesh. It's a place that doesn't disappoint. Um, again, there's lots of different budget options, including some great mid range, uh, kind of boutique Riyadh hotels there, um, that I think are a, a place to start, you know, um, you're going to understand quickly that. Uh, Marrakesh doesn't have you can go on tours you can go see you know the Sadian tombs and walk by the Kutubia mosque and you know go into the you know Marrakesh museum and all that but really it's it's I mean you get familiar with the place through some of that stuff but really it's a place you spend most of your time just walking through the old souks you know these old marketplaces and uh, haggling with owners over stuff you probably don't need you know and I mean this is this is you know dodging scooters that are everywhere um and that's that's Marrakesh you know it's vibrant it's lively um you know there's nothing quite like being on the Jemna Afna right after sunset. You know, when you when you come out there right after sunset, it's just it's like a circus every night. You know, it's just the energies there. Um, there's all sorts of street performers, all sorts of you know, I don't know, you name it. There's just everything going on there. You know, it's, it feels like you know the the moment you're in the Jemna Afna, you feel like this is where it's all happening. You know, it's happening and it's happening here. You know, that's, nice. that's the feeling, you know? Nice. Uh, so you're doing, you're doing what? A couple, a couple days in Marrakesh, right? Oh man, I just spent a week in Marrakesh. I felt like I could have used another week and I was doing stuff every day. Like I'm not lounging by the pool, you know? So if you, if you want to give yourself a little bit of lounging time, you, you don't feel like you need to do a lot. I'd say, man, three nights in Marrakesh minimum, if that's the first city you're hitting. Um, I'd stretch that to four nights, particularly if I'm getting over any sort of jet lag or something like that. I'd want to give myself at least a day to just kind of chill out. Um, and yeah, Marrakesh is easy to do, I think, three or four days. Um, lots of beautiful gardens to walk through. Um, and yeah, if you set yourself up in a, a nice enough, kind of the mid-level type thing, um, it'll be a really easy kind of start, I think, to, to your trip. Uh, rent a car. <laughs> that's the next thing I do uh, because we're going to head south. Um, and once we head south, there's not a lot of trains. Uh, public buses only run once or twice a day. So you're, you'd be on a very tight schedule if you're doing buses. So that's why I rented a car this last time. Um, and I'm very happy I did. Um, 
it turned out maybe cheaper than doing a lot of the grand taxis. I don't know, less headache anywhere. I felt like I had more freedom to just kind of stop and pull over when I, whenever I felt, Hey, that looks kind of cool. Um, I can't, honestly, I can't count how many roads I went down just cause I like, like the name of this place. And I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. Nothing's really written about it. Let's go <laughs> find out what's over here. Uh, so I love doing that. You know, I love that the kind of classic road trip, you know? So I think if this is the itinerary that for me would be the classic road trip, you know, so you start in Marrakesh, you do three or four days there. Um, and then I'd head out to Aswara. I'd do at least one, maybe two nights in Aswara that's out on the coast. So you're going to be on the Atlantic coast eating at Umia, which is, oh, that's delicious restaurant, kind of French Moroccan fusion. Um, but yeah, again, there's a great budget option there, the Chill Art Hostel, which is uh, just a, if you like artists and you like music and stuff, I mean, they keep it like, you have quiet hours and everything like that. But I mean, it's a, it's a nice place. Um, they almost always can find a spot for, you know, somebody coming in. Um, so the chill art hostel over there in Esquire, I think is fantastic. Just, a one of my, probably, if not my top, maybe my second favorite, like budget option in, in all of Morocco. I mean, it's a spot. Um, that said, there's a, of course, upscale stuff and all that you can do there too. Um, and then from Esquire, I'd head down the coast, um, to Tahazout. I do a little yoga surf class for a day there and spend a one night in Tahazout. And again, that's one you can do mid range or budget there. Um, and then I'd continue on down the coast. Um, and so I'd, I'd be working it all the way to city evening, right? So there's different ways you can break up that drive. Um, but my big stops would be Eswara, Tahazut. Um, and then I'd probably stop in Tisneet, probably for a night. Tisneet's kind of a unex, it's relatively unexplored. You know, not a lot of people are going there, um, which is a shame because it's a beautiful media in Medina. They got a great, great new museum about to open um that's gonna you know the berbers were the original people of morocco uh also known as the amazir or the tamazir uh and they are um they've been there for thousands of years i mean nobody knows how long exactly but they've been there for a long time um and they are pre you know they are pre-roman pre-carthaginian uh pre-arab pre-french pre-spain as pre-everything you know they've been there for a long time kind of like our like native americans in the u.s you know um and there's a very strong kind of indigenous culture still alive there in morocco where they're still speaking this language um that again it's it's that's part of that culture as well it's not just arab and french it's like all of a sudden there's this other layer of this uh, indigenous language and tisnet has a great museum for all this stuff along with some Heather will love this. That's where you go shopping for silver. Okay. <laughs> All right. She could, she could ask me about uh, it. Chris, can <laughs> we edit that out, please? I don't want her listening to that. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's, it's really, it's a great spot to uh, do a little uh, uh, shopping for kind of this chunky jewelry, which I, I, I got uh, husband points for getting this for my wife. Um, so, so I got a nice little necklace set and everything for necklace earrings, a little bracelet thing. Um, but yeah, so Tisnet's a great spot. Um, uh, Riyadh Janoub is a really good address there. Um, the owners are Indian and Belgian Moroccan, which means if by this time in your trip, seven days into it or so, you're a little tired of the tagines and couscous, which is pretty staple of the restaurants and stuff, um, they can bid, they'll cook you up some great Indian food, which is always a nice little treat, you know? Oh, yeah. So it's oh, kind yeah. of a nice little stop there. Uh, so Rio de is pretty awesome. Um, and then, yeah, CD Evening, I like, uh, CD Evening, uh, belonged to the French up until, uh, I think the 1970s. Um, and it still has this little bit of a Spanish, you know, 
vibe to it. Uh, and it, it's in another kind of surfer town and stuff. So it's another place you can do surfer destinations. But the real draw here um, is the Lizgira Beach, which is just north of it, just a couple minutes drive north. Beautiful beach. Um, so like you get a nice little beach day in. So from that, I'd circle back up through the Seuss, go through Taff Route, which is this great little uh, kind of in the middle of the Anti-Atlas. So you go hiking through Taff Route, uh, and I'd do a, probably a day in Taff Route, maybe even two nights, but make sure you have one full day to do like a little bit of hiking up there because uh, just beautiful stuff. You know, it's just like the kind of scenery you're never going to see anywhere else. It looks like every it's almost apocalyptic in a way, like all this like crumbling mountain, rocky terrain, you know, Um just wonderful though. Um, and then on, on the way back up through Marrakesh, I'd do Tilloween, stop for some saffron because they, they pluck saffron there. That is probably one of the best in the world. Uh, so foodies out there, you know, get yourself some saffron. I mean, you get like five grams of wonderful saffron for like three bucks, you know? All right. Yeah. Saffron ain't cheap, man. Killer. Right? That it's stuff's awesome. expensive. Yeah. Cool. No, I, I'm thinking about a small business like yeah. this. <laughs> By the gram, it's crazy. Um, and then, yeah, if time allows, I do a, a big drive out to the desert. I go out to uh, Zagora, um, and then on to Mohammed Arislan, kind of the really the end of the road. And from there, you can go to a place called Urshigaga, which is the largest sand dune that's really relatively un. I don't, there's some tourism there, but not nearly as much as Merzuga, and so I kind of prefer it a little bit more. It has a little bit more of that kind of solid, or sorry, the solitude um that i'm looking for when i go out to the desert so uh, I'd, I'd finish up at erg chicago and then on my way back i do an overnight probably in where's is that and then i'd be back in marrakesh and that's kind of this loop i do yeah so i'm looking at a map because i had no idea where any of it was so as yeah, you're no, describing i'm looking at a map and so essentially if you're using marrakesh as your northernmost point you're kind of looping down like two-thirds of the coast coming back through marrakesh would you I mean, then I'm just looking at Morocco as a country. I'm like, whoa, like there's a huge chunk up north. You have Fez and Rabat and Casablanca. We already talked about Casablanca. I know we were trying to keep it to a certain amount of time. Is that worth going up to see like Fez and Rabat and, and that northern Morocco? What what type of experience am I getting up there? Or would you say, hey, like the southern part, which we just talked about, is is better or is what, what you would give to someone who is a first timer? I, I give it to someone as a, as a first timer saying, now the second time you come back, we're, we're going to do That's North right. Morocco. So here's my, here's my thing. Like I usually, um, when I'm, if people only have like say 10 days in Morocco, um, I don't want them to waste two days of travel time. You know, like uh, that to me is a total waste of a vacation day. You know, like if, if I have 10 days of vacation and you tell me, you know, day five and day eight, I'm going to spend nine hours in a car. That's a waste of a vacation for me or a vacation day. You know, like I, I love a good road trip, but like I try to keep it at like four hours of driving or so a day. Um because I feel like that's pretty good. You know, you, you, you drive, you know, after breakfast, you get somewhere by lunch, you have the afternoon to do an activity, you have the night to maybe do something else or, you know, get a good night's sleep or something. Um, now, problematically, if you're going to go from South Morocco to North Morocco, so if you're going from Marrakesh using that and you, and you want to skip Casablanca because we know that's, uh, um, and then we want to go up to Fez, which a lot of people do, that's a big trip. You know, you're looking at 
nine hours or so, you know, like, uh, you know, like if the train has a delay, you're on the train that can easily be 12 hours. It happens all the time. If you're driving it, you get behind one slow little truck, all of a sudden you're, you know, eight and a half hour drive easily turns into nine, 10 hours. And that's a, that's a whole day. You know what I mean? And you're going to have to do that usually because your round trip ticket would be coming back from Marrakesh. So now you're stuck doing that same trip back. And so that's why I'm, I'm usually tell people like pick one or the other, you know, now if you have more time, now we get into like, all right, well, here, here's a different kind of loop we can do. So like, you know, we can go from that, you know, Zagora kind of area. And instead of coming back to Marrakesh, we can actually go up through the desert. There's a couple of really cool gorges up there that we can hit, the Dadas and the Todra Gorge, um, that are just beautiful. If people are into rock climbing, there's rock climbing there, but it's great hiking. Um, nice places to stay, a couple good restaurants up in there too. Um, and then you can come over the mountains to Fez which I find most Americans typically actually like Fez a little bit better than Marrakesh. Um, and I can kind of see why that is. I, I myself prefer Fez a little bit as well. Um, it's, it's a city that keeps its secrets pretty close. Um, but once you open them up, it's pretty amazing, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I find a few days in Fez is well warranted. Um, and from Fez, you have Roman ruins to go explore in Volubilis, another capital, like capital city in Meknes, um, which is good for a day trip. Um, uh, and then, yeah, you get into Chef Shawin, which is the Instagram hit right now. I mean, I was going to say, I've heard of Chef Shawin. I don't even know why, but I think it's because, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's stupidly photogenic, man. It's so okay. pretty. Uh, it's, it's a really pretty kind of magical city. Um, and it, hash, I think is still pretty big up there. So, um, you know, anybody into like, you know, smoking a little bit, like, uh, that's kind of where they do it, you know, Chef Shawin. So it has that kind of street cred going for it as well. Um, yeah, but then you could do that tour where you're going from Fez up to Chef Shawin and then Tetuan, which is a great lesser visited city really in Morocco before hitting Tangier and Asila. Um, what, what is the driving like? Cause you mentioned the times, is it like if you were taking that drive, let's say, or, or first let's start with the drives that you mentioned doing the Southern route. Is it, is it easy driving? Is it highways? Is it super scenic? Because I'm with you that I don't want to spend all the day in a car. But if it's if the drive itself is really, really awesome, then it makes it obviously a little better. If you're like, well, it's super scenic all the time. All right. Yeah. Nine hours is a long time. But at least I'm seeing stuff. If it's a highway going through the middle of nowhere, you're like, yeah, nine hours is not something I want to do. That's <laughs> yeah, fun for the first 10 minutes. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, that. Um, so the the drive I described, I love it because it's scenic. Things are changing. You have these like majestic coastlines, you know, um, into some rocky mountain terrain. You get some desert in there. It's some mountains in there. Um, a little bit of everything. Um, when particularly, I'm thinking that Marrakesh to Fez trip that people do. You're either on a highway. Um, that's the because qu- that's the quickest way to do it, um, and that's not very scenic. Um, I mean, not to say it's not totally devoid of things to look at you know i mean the first time you're going to drive you're going to you know notice stuff but the other thing with that is it is a little stressful because these are um busier thoroughfares and you know with 
you know, that kind of madness of driving that we were talking about earlier, that's fun for half an hour as you're trying to get across the city or something. But if you're doing that for 10 hours on the road or something, that gets really stressful, you know, um, and you, your, your hair will go white. Um, I think that's actually kind of what happened to me. <laughs> Too much driving in, in Morocco. Driving. There you go. Yeah, but, but the, the nice thing about once you're out um, kind of in the other, these other like less traveled roads, like everywhere else, you know, they're country roads. Um, you see, you know, the kind of people of the area. Um, you're going to hit the occasional slow, you know, the sheep car or something like that or chicken wagon or whatever. Um, and, you know, that happens. But, you know, if you kind of pace your driving out, it, it's it's a nice pace, you know, like I, I like it quite a bit. Um, I mean, I, I remember on this last trip I did, I pulled over a few times on the side of the road to shoot some pictures, ended up like, you know, writing an email and everything. And I'm out, out there and I realized like no car has passed me. Like I've been sitting on the side of the road for like 10 minutes, you know, and not a single car has passed me. And that's, you're like, oh, wow, that's, I'm really kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You that's know? not like, happening in Paris, believe it yeah, or not. that's not happening in Paris, yeah. Right. So that's, uh, you know, the you know, city driving is really stressful. Those, uh, the highways are easy to get up and down, but they, yeah, but they aren't as scenic, you know. So right. for me, like, that's the thing. If I'm going to have a road trip, like, make it pretty, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we shouldn't feel bad if if we go to Marrakesh and we start there, we shouldn't feel bad about missing Fez and and the North, at least the first time. No, because that's why, why you come back the second time. There you go. Now, <laughs> or or I was thinking this too. Maybe you don't even get a round-trip ticket. Maybe you start in Fez, although I guess with a rental car, this might be difficult. You start in Fez. You, go down, you start there. You go down to Marrakesh, hang out there, then take that loop, and then fly to Marrakesh. I don't know. I guess... Yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of like one way because then you're not having to go back and you could see more. But yeah, maybe with a rental car, I don't know if it's worth well, it. Or- there's, there's one way if uh, I, I'm I'm looking to do this next time. So they just opened up a flight between Fez and Marrakesh. That's like 45 minutes. So gotcha. I'm actually thinking what I might try to do uh, my next trip down there is I'm going to see if this is feasible to do like this kind of 10 day tour of the north catch a flight from Fez to Marrakesh, and then do a 10-day tour of the South. Okay. All right. Now we're okay. talking. Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. And then I can kind of skip that middle that sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Now we're talking. All right. So then if we're just hitting like the big cities or big areas, because I don't even know, all, again, pretty novice when it comes to Morocco, just to finish up the ideas. Fez, definitely worth it. If you're, if you're going to be up in that area, you want to see that. Tangier, yes, no... Is it like so? If you all right, so the French are rediscovering Tangier right now. Um, the kings just put a ton of money into the city, so all the infrastructure of that place is just fantastic. It, it boasts my favorite public park in all of Morocco right now, that Predicarus Park. I mean, with these, yeah, insanely gorgeous views out over the Mediterranean, just great spot for a picnic and stuff, or even for like a trail run, you know, if you wanted to just get a quick run in. I mean, wonderful. Um, and yeah, and it's still a Medina, like this old city that is, uh, the old part of it is still relatively like, I mean, it gets touristed, but it's all like day trippers, you know? I mean, it's almost people just coming through and that's how Tangier's always been. So I think like, if you like, uh, like say Malaga or if you like Marseille, you know, these kind of like scruffier port towns, like you love Tangier. Gotcha. You know I mean? For me, it has that same kind of vibe to it. Gotcha. Rabat. Yay, nay. No, I mean, my wife and I talk about this. If we're going to live in Morocco, that would be the city we'd live in. Um, Just because it's probably about the cleanest. It's about the most kind of European in a way. 
um so like that it's, it loses some charm i think in some ways you know uh but it would be probably the, the best place if you have a kid which is what we're thinking about you know if we have a kid they have the probably the best schools best healthcare, and all that stuff right there so um so yeah robot um robot so if if it's on your trip like if it's on your like if you're doing a road trip and you're like well we got to go through robot stop in robot for a day or two you know i mean there, there's plenty of stuff to do um some really interesting like old roman ruins um there's uh <laughs> one of my favorite commutes in the world are these like little boats that take you from Saleh, which is this uh little city just north of rabat so you just cross the river by boat and you just like it gives these guys like a few durhams and <laughs> like the local currency you know so you're talking like maybe 30 cents 40 cents and then you hop on a boat and 10 minutes later you're on the other side of the river and that's how people commute back and forth nice. um Let's mix for a nice little little photo op, little kind yeah. of cool thing. But they have a cool Casbah there, you know, like really Rabat has a really nice Casbah. Um, and for a lot of people, if they can work it so Rabat's the last town they're going to be in, that's maybe the best place to shop for souvenirs and stuff. Um, just because people are really reluctant. They aren't going to sit there and barter for prices. That's not that town's culture. So that's one of the few places in Morocco where you can like, you know, go get that I don't know, tea set or whatever you wanted and not have to haggle for 45 minutes. Right, about, right. You can just go. $3, and, I'm going to say. You yeah, know? you can go and get it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. And we talked about Casablanca. We talked about Marrakesh. That kind of hits the main areas. Um, I think what I just am taking from this is that we need at least three weeks is what I, it's kind of what I'm, <laughs> or, or I need that 10 day, 10 day, right. And that little flight <laughs> in between that, that sounds like that sounds perfect right there. The 10 day, 10 day. Um, so we'll have to, we'll have to talk about when you might be doing that and when we can, uh, when we can hop on, on that. Um, cool. What about, and this is the, getting off Morocco or it can be Morocco specific if you want, but just ways, because obviously you've traveled quite a bit now, ways that you like to save money while traveling. One of them, we talked about the, hey, go budget and then go luxury, skip the middle range. Is there any other like little tips and tricks that you particularly like to use? Again, Morocco yeah. specific, uh, Paris specific, or just in general? Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, man, I don't know where to start. Um, all right. So plan ahead. I, I've not been great at this in my life, but as I'm getting a little older, I'm getting a little bit better at this. Uh, like I mentioned earlier that, you know, I saved a ton of money on a car rental just by planning ahead. Uh, as everybody knows, the same kind of goes with, with tickets. You know, if you can like shop for tickets, if you're buying them out of pocket, uh, shop two, three months in advance, a lot of times you'll find some great deals, you know? Um, so, you know, kind of planning these things in advance, I think helps quite a bit. So if you can kind of get your lodging, your ticket, um, and your transportation covered, like those are your three biggest expenses and whatever money you, however you can save money that way. I think that that helps. So I know some people, I, I suck at using miles. I should be using miles. I'm a horrible about it. I'm, I just think of it as like one other spreadsheet to keep track of and I can't bother. So like, as much as I fly, I probably should, but, uh, but I'm, I'm one of these, I'm always kind of sniping for like the, the cheapest round trip I can find or something. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that, that I think is probably saved me the most amount of money. Um, honestly, the other thing I do, um, and this is what got me into guidebook writing in the first place, pick up a guidebook beforehand and do a little homework, you know, um, like even the worst guidebook kind of gives you something to base some decisions off of, you know? Um, and that's something I didn't start doing until I was in Prague, didn't speak the language. I've been there for a month. I kept on crossing this bridge and I was like, what am I doing here? What is this place? And I pick up some like 
DKI witness or whatever. And, you know, all of a sudden I was enthralled. I'm like, Oh wow. I, did, I had no idea. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's just in, in a way, you know, it's, it's 15, 20 bucks you can spend that will enrich your travel so much. You know, I mean, it's not enough to just walk through. I don't like, like we we're saying chef Shaolin, it's Instagram worthy. It's so pretty looking, but, but what are you actually seeing? You know, like, yeah, why is it there? What what is, is the story? There? Yeah. Spend the five minutes, skim a couple paragraphs, and you'll get so much more out of it. You yeah. know? So like that I find out, yeah, maybe it's not saving money, quote unquote, but I think it does pay for itself along the way in terms of enriching my experience and inevitably, again, inevitably, every time I've traveled with a book, I'll end up referring to it at least once or twice for lodging or for transportation. And it's ended up saving me either money or from bed bugs. Yeah, <laughs> which is probably more important, saving yes. you from bed bugs than saving you from money. I'm with yeah. you, man. I, I'm a big proponent of guidebooks, of, of paper guidebooks. We, I just kind of was on a, a call with a, with another guy, Seth, and we were talking about, we're not going to get into this, but like the rise of apps and all that, and smartphone, and it's good for some stuff, and, and some stuff you feel like it takes away the travel experience. One thing that I love is having a physical guidebook in my hand because I, you know, you can dog ear, you can write in it, you can reference back to it, you can give it to another traveler, which is always cool. I, I'm with you, man. So I'm glad that you wrote that the guidebook on Morocco, which is sitting on my on my desk next to my bed, and I keep looking. At it, I'm like, oh, if I if I crack this open and really start reading too much, like I am not going to survive the winter here in Philadelphia. Like I'm going to have to book a flight right away. Hey so. man, hey man, wait for the second edition. Maybe it'll be a, it'll be out in October 2019. Okay, all right, that's a long way. I I, I know, man. Sorry, I'm, I, I'm researching it right now. I'm like back and forth between Paris and Morocco a ton until. Uh, I mean, through the summer, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of seasons, really quick, you said spring, you said fall. Is there is there definitely times that you would or months that you would tell people to avoid? Like, I mean, it's more like like I wouldn't say avoid the whole country. You know, like if that's your only spot for vacation, that's all you get. You know, like a lot of people, they only have that week or two, and that's that's all they have. Um, So in that case, I tell them just be a little bit careful about where you're going. You know, so if you're going in the month of August. Uh, for example, you don't want to do a desert trip. You aren't going to want to be in Marrakesh because, you know, these places will get, you know, 100 plus degrees. There's not a lot of air conditioning. A lot of things are closed. A lot of things run shorter hours, you know, so it just makes the whole experience not ideal versus if you're out on the coast, man, the coast is the coast. You know, you can have a nice beachy vacation, do a little like exploration of some smaller towns out there. Um, I mean, most of the Moroccans kind of flood to the north of Morocco, like along the Mediterranean and stuff. Um, so Tangier gets packed in August. Some people love that. Like it changes the energy of the place quite a bit, you know, um, from kind of a lazier port town to a really kind of vibrant port town, yeah. you know. So so August is a kind of big month up there. Um, but yeah, if you're in on the coast, I think that's great. Winter is fine. I think winter you can travel. It's just getting across the mountains can be a little trickier because they will snow. Um, and because they don't snow that often, if you do have a big snow, there's not a lot of snow plows in the country. So clearing the roads can take a while. So you, you just have to be ready to adjust your, you know, your schedule a little bit, you know. So if like this, this mountain pass is closed, you know, OK, well, plan B is we're going to go this way. Um, you know, so I, I think it's just like wintertime, particularly you want to have a have to have a plan B, maybe even a plan C and be cool with that, you know. And I, and I think, you know, the. It's going to be a little rainier because um, it does get, you know, it will get rainy. But I mean, 
doesn't get that cold. You know, I mean, if you're in the desert, it can freeze though. Okay. A lot of people forget that, you know, like the desert can freeze at night. So, um, you'll have to pack warm clothes for the desert. <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting. Do prices change much throughout the seasons or is it like, yeah. or is it pretty standard all the time? Yeah, I mean, the spring and fall are pretty much the, the high seasons, you know, um, all the way around with the coast kind of staying peak even into the end of the summer months as well. Um, and then, yeah, that wintertime kind of is a bit of a lull for most people. Um, but it's it's almost the same as Europe where you, it's a bit of that lull except for those kind of like Christmas holidays when they know everyone's on vacation. So things are going to come back up. Um, if people wanted to really do their homework, um, you'd also match up your Moroccan holiday with French holidays. Um, because if the, a lot of the French, because it's a former protectorate, they head into Morocco on their vacation times. So there's like set vacation weeks for schools in France and you want to avoid those weeks if possible. Gotcha. It's a little more homework to do, but you know, I mean, yeah. you look up the, you know, French school calendar, French school calendar, you know, and you're Do like, okay, it. it sucks. Stay out of the cities. You know I mean? That's gotcha. the big thing. It's mostly in the cities, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so, so the prices kind of peak a little bit more with the French vacations. Um, but yeah, it's like everywhere else, you know, like when it's a lot more people there, a lot more demand, the prices go up. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty standard for the hotels in particular. Yeah. Awesome. And you talked about what you had come up in the pipeline. I'll get to that in one second. I want you to share, if you would, your biggest travel mishap, cause I can't let you go without talking <laughs> about this. So what, what sticks out in your mind is something that you've done that you're like, Oh boy. How okay, does it have this? to be something I did? Or no, be, or no, it doesn't have to be something you did or something that happened to you. Yeah, that's fine. All right, so all right, well, all right, so I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you the latest one, one that I did. So this last, uh, I really want to pull this up, so because you're on the screen, so you can see this. As I as I do a lot of travel writing, um, the last year particularly, I've been asked for a lot of photography. And I made enough money. I was like, oh, man, I should get serious about photography, get a real camera, like get some real gear, you know, learn Lightroom a little bit better, some Photoshop tricks and stuff. So I bought this new uh, Sony a7 III, phenomenal cam, like knockout camera, just great. I'm having, I've customized the thing. It's, it's a wonderful camera. Um, <laughs> the second to last day in Morocco, I straight up dropped it and like cracked the LCD screen. So you see this piece of orange tape I have holding this together right now. <laughs> So uh, I don't know what's going to happen with that, but that's a yeah two thousand dollar camera. That's mm. uh, I mean it, it still works, but, right? It still know, takes good pictures. You just have tape on the screen. I just have tape all over the screen, so there's that. Uh, but one that happened to me was, uh, and uh, I mean it's a wonder I stuck in Morocco for six years. Um, what I, so I, I packed up my life in San Francisco, sold all my belongings. Um, had literally whittled everything down to these two bags and a backpack, right? So I have two bags I'm going to check in in a backpack, and this is my life. After many delayed flights, canceled flights, a night in an airport, uh, like a random 16 hours that was unexpected in Madrid in the middle of August, I'm just sweating all through all my clothes, you know, I hop on the plane, change clothes, get into Morocco, get my connecting flight into Fez. I'm there. I'm exhausted. I'm ready to start my new life, though. And I'm there, and I'm exhausted, and I'm ready to start this new life. And I'm there, and where are my bags? It's been an hour. It's been an hour, man. Where's my bags? Are they going to come off? No, they are not coming off that bag check, are they? Oh, no. So I spent the uh, first 
two weeks of my new life in Morocco with literally what I packed in my backpack, which was a book, a laptop, a spare change of clothes, you know, like the basic basics. And uh, when we get to this this town I'm going to be in, it's it's not only is it August, everyone's on vacation. It also happened to be the first uh, day of Ramadan. And so everything's closed. That's my first time experiencing Ramadan, so I have no idea what's going on. Um, <laughs> and I'm trying to get like, tokens for these washing machines so i can wash like my one pair of underwear <laughs> there's nowhere to get these washing machine tokens so i'm like hand washing things in, with bar soap for my first two weeks in the country just like sitting around in this sterile apartment just like so this i moved here for this yeah nice <laughs> Nice. Saying it in the corner. Oh man, that makes my first two weeks in Japan seem like downright luxury, where I had literally nothing, and it, you know, <laughs> as you said, like super humid, no air conditioner, nothing, just a fan. One teacher left a fan, and I would just sweat and lay on the tatami mat with my head in the fan, and then I'd walk to the grocery store twenty minutes and to get food because I had no refrigerator, so I had to eat everything. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. All right. So I at least had underwear, though. I had my underwear. So <laughs> yeah. I was... We were going for Japanese Japanese minimalism, you know? That's like... right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, all yeah. right. So, so uh, an auspicious start to your time in Morocco, which then led you to six more years. So obviously... <laughs> yeah, I'm just a glutton for punishment. That's, <laughs> That's right. It went up from there, obviously. What do well, you have- after a root canal, yeah, after the root canal was kind of like the, the like bottom of the barrel. I think it was up after that. There you go. So no underwear, root canal. You're like, all right, I'm going up, baby. It's <laughs> the nowhere to go but up. Life here is going to be awesome. <laughs> what do you have coming in the pipeline? That you mentioned the the second edition of the travel of the of the moon um, guide to Morocco. That's coming, you said, October 2019. What else do you have? Anything else that people should be interested in or check out? Yeah, so um, so I got a couple things. So um, the Journey Beyond, Tr- well, okay, let's, Moon, second book as well. So I'm doing not only the Morocco guidebook, but I'm also doing a book that's just Marrakesh and the South. Um, so I'll be doing a second book just for that. Um, and then I might, this is unsure. Yeah, I shouldn't, I might be doing a Malaga book as well. Cause I spent a ton of time in Andalusia. My mom had retired there. Um, I pushed and prodded her. See, I get people to come over here. You know, I just, I, I was going to say, <laughs> there you go. Wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I got my mom to, uh, her and her husband retired over here a few years ago. So, uh, we spent a lot of time in Andalusia right now. So we're right in Malaga, kind of this area on the coastline quite a bit. So there's a good chance I might be doing that as well. Um, the other thing I'm going to do started in 2019 is working really closely with a kind of high end luxury travel company where we're customizing vacations. Uh, they're called journey beyond travel. I've been editing their blog for a year or so now, but I've been working with uh, the founders for, man, five or six years now. It's been since 2012. I think we've been working together. Um, and so, yeah, as as things are going to go on in 2019, I'll be uh, doing quite a bit of the actual hands-on stuff there, uh, which will be kind of a, a fun thing to do. So it's going to give me a lot, of, a lot of excuses to go back into Morocco. Even when I'm done like publishing these books, you know, I'm going to be like, all right, well, I still have to go for work. So um, so yeah, I'll be with Journey Beyond Travel quite a bit, organizing trips for them, uh, customizing vacations for people. Um, and all looking... those all those vacations will be Moroccan vacations. Like you'll be yeah. So that's Moroccan specific country. Um, we only take on a few visitors per week, um, and it's all very you know um, yeah, it's very high end, very kind of bespoke you know tours where it's it's 
are a lot of great places to stay, places to eat, but these kind of, uh, we work on these authentic moments where you're actually relating with the culture um, in a way that's not monetary. You know, like uh, we, we work with a great kind of group of people there to kind of, you'll go on, uh, for instance, uh, you'll go on like a little bit of a, a hike in the morning and for that afternoon, you'll stop at the guide's parents' house. And you're just going to eat like with the locals as they do, you know, and share a laugh around a table and then, you know, hike it back out, you know. So it's a lot of this, this kind of stuff. So a lot of uh, this kind of very kind of particular tourism that we're working on developing in Morocco. So Nice. Awesome. Yeah. So you got a lot going on. All right. Yeah. So and, and, a, and a two and a half year old. <laughs> and, and I was going to say, and you've got a little guy there. Yeah, yeah. So. Man, a lot going on. It's, it seems really tough, man. You're bouncing between Morocco, Paris, and Malaga. Like, oh, I really feel yeah. quite bad for you. you yeah, I know. A, a yeah, tough I gig, man. Um, kind of hate myself sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I would say that life has gone up since you had no underwear that first uh, couple of days or first couple of weeks in Morocco. Dude, I just really appreciate you joining me today, obviously for pushing me, sending me the guidebook, further elevating my and mine and Heather's, I should say, wanderlust from Morocco, while also just providing some super helpful advice for traveling there. I mean, the itinerary you gave, and guys, we'll link everything up in the show notes um, that Lucas was talking about. So if you heard stuff, you're like, I don't even know where it is that he's talking about, but it sounds awesome. How I want to sell that, right? <laughs> Exactly. I'm actually going to put him to work a little bit because he doesn't have enough. Yeah, but I'm going to ask him to help me with the show notes because I'm going to I'm at a loss at this point. Um, so we'll have Lucas help us put together some show notes and and maybe may I'm I'm saying maybe I'm not guaranteeing this. Maybe even a little map so you can see what we were doing there. Um, so Lucas, remind people one more time like where should they go to find your stuff? How can they get the guidebook? All the all the goodies. Uh, start. You can hit my website www.lucasmpeters.com. Um, on there, you got links to the book, links to Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, all that stuff. There, I think it is the easiest spot to go. Uh, you can Google search me. I think if you just look up like Lucas M. Peters or Lucas Peters on Google, I'm usually the first page or two on there. Um, with a lot of you know the Twitters on there, the Instagram, all that stuff. Um, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, or you could just come to my house, you know, over here in Paris. If you're in the neighborhood, we'll meet for a little glass downstairs, right? I'm by right. Pont de Versailles, uh, Metro. <laughs> there you go. He's looking for people to come over and have a beer with, I think is what he's Basically, getting at. Uh, <laughs> the 15th Uh Yeah, just hang on out there. Cool, man. Well, hopefully. I need flannels. I need flannels and I need voyeurs, you know? So, uh, if Come on. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it as well as your French. But if you're one of those, if you like if you <laughs> if you like to stroll, which I still think is an awesome pressure. If you like to stroll or you like to just peek in people's houses. Spider, man, totally. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Go find Lucas. Thank you, man. We really appreciate it. guys. We will link everything up in the show notes. I mentioned that. You can get that extra pack of peanuts.com slash shows. Also, I should make note, if you're looking for cheap flights, we talked a little bit about that app. Check out the app Jetto. We just launched that a little while ago. You can get that letsjetto.com. You can also find it on Google, um, the Google Play Store or the App Store. And I have been seeing super cheap flights recently to Spain. There's been a lot of cool stuff from the East Coast to Spain. We're talking like round trip 300 bucks. So if you yep. get to Spain... Then you get a hundred dollar round trip down to Morocco. I mean, you could feasibly get to Morocco for under five hundred bucks, which is pretty. You pretty can catch sweet. the ferry from Tarifa. Walk onto the ferry from Tarifa, land right in Tangier. There, there you, you go. go. There, Twenty that, bucks. That's what I'm doing. All right, awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Lucas. Thanks again, man. It's so nice to finally get to chat with you in person. Get you on the show. 
like I said, we'll, do, we'll maybe we'll do a, a destination diary in Morocco where we're even pinpointing more specific stuff. But, dude, really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Travis. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support. That makes us number one rated travel podcast in the world. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris soon.